the best strategy really is to just go out to your network and just offer to help. Just give people advice and offer to do things for free for them that don't take you much time. Make videos showing, showing you're doing something useful for a business that they need, like building a funnel. And then post that and say, hey, what do you guys think? If you want me to help you with this, I can. And people will generally answer. That generates some really good connections. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm Alex Freeman, and today I'm talking to app to exit co-founder Pace Ellsworth to find out how to start a successful and scalable software business. app to exit was originally founded as Bestment and built to automate small businesses, giving owners more time to focus on the things that really matter. In this episode, we'll learn how Pace applied those same concepts to set the company up for success, how his expertise with systems, automation, and data has helped him build a company with massive growth potential. Let's talk to Pace. Pace, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Alex. No, this is a great opportunity. I think about these questions a lot, so I'm really happy to be here. Great. Well, let's get let's get started with the story. Let's talk about kind of the the founding story. Why did you get the business started, and what were you doing before you you started the company? Well, I started coding in college. Originally wanted to get into political science and things. I love talking about issues, but found out that nobody wanted to change their mind about anything. So I switched over to linguistics because really what I what I loved was was talking and 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 getting and just getting to know people and connecting with them on a deep level. Part of linguistics is something called computational linguistics. So I studied some coding courses for translation tools and for like scraping data from search engines and analyzing the results. So after a few years doing a few various other things, I got into marketing, radio marketing, actually, AM and FM for a financial product, and then later started doing WordPress websites, and then had a concept because blockchain and cryptocurrency was getting pretty big. I, I launched a business doing automated trading, but the timing was the worst possible. <laughs> I started, we launched in November 2017, and then the crash started December 2017, And so we just floundered for for a year and uh, eventually, you know, hung our hats uh, early 2019. From there, I, I started teaching coding for web development. And because I did that, I, I, I got poached by a VA and a you know a foreign developer who was like, hey, partner with me uh, and we, we can work on projects together. I'm like, hey, I could, I could freelance. I, I need the extra income. So I started freelancing, turned that into a company. Originally, it was called Nucleus, uh, N-U-C-L-I-U-S with, with an I. I still have that .com, but the goal there was just to freelance and figure out what all that was about. I started taking on more projects, had to delegate and hire some more developers. Thankfully, since I was teaching in a coding school, I had a, I had a lot of low cost, you know, very eager uh, developers that were good that, that wanted, wanted to test their skills. So from there, we changed the name to Bestimate earlier this year because we were seeing how inconsistent the experiences were working with clients. So a lot of people don't know about freelancing and starting a software development company. It, it can be hard. There are a lot of different ways you can get involved in that. You can join an established agency or business. You can start on your own and freelance like on Upwork and uh, TopTal, a few other places. That's kind of, kind of how we started. But it's all project-based, normally like a fixed dollar amount. It's very hard to negotiate those. It's very hard to track them over time. There are agile development processes. Those take a lot of time to learn. And, and then just so getting consistency in the business was very difficult. So our goal with Bestimate was to start being more proactive, showing businesses what their numbers were. But realistically, our strength is just in the project itself. So 
So we just changed it to app to exit with the goal of focusing on that, just building apps for small businesses under a fixed monthly rate to make it very predictable for them. Uh, So it's almost just like a fractional CTO service. And then uh, just taking them through to their exit strategy, which a lot of business owners aren't even trying to think about. Can you talk us through kind of what that that process might look like if a business owner comes to to app to exit and says, hey, I want to I want to come on board. What is kind of that process look like? What are you offering them? And how does the relationship unfold? Yeah, certainly. So we have a we have a pretty specific plan in place. Uh, essentially, what we would do is step one, we'd plan and automate. So we'd walk you through a, a game plan for your business, just take you from wherever you are, understand what puzzle pieces you currently have in place. And normally businesses with you know, five to 20 employees or so, they have, they're using a lot of different systems. They find a problem, they solve it with one technology. They find a, a slightly different version of that problem. problem they, they, they sign up for a slightly different version of that software with another company. And so that they end up with this very complicated mess. So we, t- we look at what they have and tell them how they can automate and simplify that and clean slate their business processes to save them a lot of money and time up front and then just game plan for the, the whole process. Step two, we design and build an app for them so to customize that one solution that's going to streamline everything in their business and uh, optionally make something that makes it a lot easier for them to connect with their, their clients if, if that's the way their business is set up. And the step three would be to launch that app and, and, and then just drive towards exit. So, you know, we stay on as long as they want to provide quality assurance, uh, additional edits. 99% of the time, the owner wants to continue to build on that app and build that monthly recurring revenue or, or those automation savings over time at, until they reach that, that exit goal. In your experience, are there certain types of businesses that this makes more sense for, um, like, or, or I guess certain industries maybe? Or, and are there industries that you've encountered where this, this doesn't work? We haven't really found many businesses for whom this wouldn't work because the potential for doing either a, kind of an in-house internal app is there. Even if it's not a business that does a whole lot of marketing, like for example, we we worked with a a commercial kitchen and bathroom cabinet installer. So it's a very specific type of business, and all they do is install kitchen and bathroom cabinets for apartment buildings. So they their contracts are really huge. They're scheduled out like a year ahead. They're working through general contractors. Their business is pretty predictable. But they couldn't scale with the way that they were set up. So what we did is we built a custom mobile app and a custom admin system that supports that mobile app to completely automate the process of them setting up a site and going from you know the previous spreadsheets and text messages from, from contractors to their supervisors into something that was actually trackable and predictable. And, and so everyone was able to get paid early and on time. And all of the validation for the work done was able to get done very, very efficiently. So we could even take a company that doesn't really have a marketing strategy that they want to build into their app and automate the company that way and provide the scalability that way. But yeah, pretty much any company that has an outward facing brand that they're trying to get additional clients for, which is most companies, their app solution is likely to be something that streamlines the process of them essentially honing their offer into a funnel that's more approachable for people. So if it's it, whether that's on a mobile app or just on a web app, you know, building them a course or building them a, a, a system with a client portal where their clients can go pay online and get access to more information 
that normally now they're, they're having to deliver all that by hand in multiple phone calls, multiple emails back and forth. And it's a very slow process fraught with just places where, where things can fall through the cracks. And how much of this uh, software that you're building for companies is a build out from a like central piece of software, maybe the, the best of it soft, the original best of it software you were you were building? I mean, how much of it is like a custom build from the beginning? So far, it's been something of a toss up. It's about 50 50. More conventional businesses would benefit the most just from streamlining their systems. And so there are services out there. One, one that's very familiar to marketers is Go High Level. And we use another software that's very similar to that that we offer through Pestimate. So that so it's like kind of an all-in-one CRM calling, uh, website builder, all of that, like ClickFunnels too. That is the solution for a good half of the cases. But if it's a more niched down business that's more unique, we'll make a custom solution for them. Especially if we're going to do a mobile app, almost all mobile apps would be completely custom. Now, when you were building out that that other software is the solution. How did you go about verifying the need for that? Also, I guess, how are you, how are you, ver- I mean, the business seems to be there, but how, how have you verified the need for the custom app solutions as well? Mostly by experience. Uh, <laughs> we ourselves, if it's a problem that we ourselves had to solve in our business, then, then we've proved the need once, you know, at least. And then we found that, that in solving that problem for ourselves, that resonated with our clients as well. So, so we just started from where we were at. Nobody, you know, nobody knows more about your problem than you. And so I think, I think really it came from just listening to the, the concerns and, and the problems that, that business owners have and starting with ourselves, listening to ourselves and saying, what, what do we need? Okay, we need a CRM. We haven't put that in place. We need automated you know, contract signing. We'll, we'll put that in place. And uh, we need to take payment directly. And we, 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 don't, we, we don't want to integrate a bunch of pieces together. We want to have it all built into one. So we, we put that in place. So that's, that's how we, uh, as far as the white label product, that's, that's how we proceeded that way. And as far as custom solutions, sometimes that's not what they need the most. If, if their business is heavily manual in a very specific like supply chain management or inventory management process, then, for example, like with mobile apps, they're trying to reach their market in a very specific way or provide a, provide a novel solution. Those novel solutions are novel and they're, they're differentiators in the market. And so they have to be custom solutions that require a custom design. So the custom part of it really is, does this even exist in the market? And most of the time, the answer is no. Now, you, t- you talked about your own kind of journey of discovery of like, oh, well, we, we need a CRM. We need this solution. We need this. When you had questions about the business early on, where did you go? And do you have a mentor or other support system? And how did you connect with them? I, I would wholly advocate for mentorship. I think going and working with someone that's been there before is, is super helpful. It has been a struggle for us because I haven't worked with a lot of people that have made it in the, in the freelancing space or, or like the app development space. But where we've been the most efficient, for example, in marketing, I have been working with a mentor who has exited, you know, has, has sold multiple businesses, marketing companies, and, and really built some big brands. So, so that became that came through because of a referral that we got from another prospect that we had, another client that we had. It was a huge learning process for me to really up myself, up my game and my skills as an entrepreneur and and a visionary to really think on the next level and become more disciplined. So we started looking at our finances at that point and following those those instructions from the mentor. But yeah, I would I would say start early. You're gonna solve most of the problems and avoid a lot of headaches 
in the future if you just have someone on your team that's done it before or is is as close to having done it before or at least complements those skills that you're lacking. What would you say were some of those biggest mistakes you made early on in the business and and how did that ultimately impact your growth and and what were the lessons that you learned from it? Well, what precipitated definitely feeling like I needed to work with a mentor is I hired a bunch of people too quickly. And the reason I did that is the positive feedback loop of optimism because we had a really great project that we finished. We had a contract with IMAX for promoting the, the Suicide Squad premiere that was in 2021 last year. And so what we built was this custom web app for them, which was like a sweepstakes game. It was like a fantasy football type thing where you choose members of the, of the squad, your squad, based on characters in the film and, uh, and based on their performance in the movie like how long they survived and how many kills they had and other and other fun moments in there. Uh, you'd get a score at the end you could share on social media and promote the movie. That That's an interesting story too, because we got that contract in late July, late June, and the premiere was August 8th or something. We had five weeks to build it. We built the whole thing and launched it and 100,000 people used it within like two weeks. Because that was such a great experience and, and, and a contract, we had a few other projects with with good revenue at that time, I really scaled up the staff think, thinking, I'm going to find work for all these people. Now, I wasn't disciplined enough and had a, had a great delegation system myself. So that was the first mistake in doing, in doing that. The other was obviously just the payroll and uh, not being able to support it when, you know, if we had any hiccup or any slowdown, in revenue, which, you know, it didn't, it didn't continue accelerating. So it ended up that we just needed to let most of them go within just a few months. And that was really heartbreaking for me. And it has been a struggle. And what I learned from that is sometimes you do have to go with that nuclear option and press reset and start over in the right way and uh, implement some new habits and not hire anybody unless, unless you actually uh, kind of from a profit forward mentality, have the budget to cover them, even when things turn turn south. A quick reminder for our listeners, if you're looking for more advice on the nuts and bolts of starting a business, check out the blog at upflip.com slash blog. Pace, I'm curious about startup costs for the company. What are the startup expenses for a software development business? I imagine, you know, it's a particularly uh, skilled area. So some of those employee costs could could run run fairly high. So can you talk us through getting the business off the ground and and what those main expenses might have been? Sure. Yeah. So in addition to the regular costs of, of doing business for small businesses today, so, you know, licensing and, and um, uh, creating, creating the entity and, and getting some, some bare bones services in place, you're, you probably do need to have, you know, maybe a thousand dollars or something to start any company. And then at least a few hundred dollars a month for email and hosting and things like that. Where the costs are really going to come in is 100% payroll with a software company because you don't have inventory you have to deal with. You don't have huge expenses. You could operate. We operate as a completely remote first company, so we have no rent, and uh, we're small enough that we don't we don't have uh, you know a large amount of benefits. So the costs are really almost almost 90% payroll at this point. And the thing about software is it's not just obviously in the U.S. There are people all over the world. There are extremely skilled people in Eastern Europe, in South America, in Africa, in, in Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia. And we actually started getting a really strong team 
with very, very loyal and skilled people, mostly from the Philippines, and then also uh, tribe developers in, in China, Eastern Europe, Pakistan, India, and Africa. Uh, we haven't done Latin America yet, but I've heard, I've heard good things. So you can lower your costs near the start by focusing on what you are good at as a founder and supplementing your skills with very targeted skilled developers that you can find on Fiverr or Upwork. Uh, or just through LinkedIn. And another great place to look, especially if you want to start or if you want to work mostly with U.S. talent, is coding schools. There are so many coding schools now. I taught at one myself, Bloom Tech, which is, uh, used to be Lambda School, is one of the larger ones. There are so many, and so many people, obviously, that are self-taught, and they need experience. They're happy to start with, you know, on, on testing them on individual projects just to see their skills at no pay, and then, and then, that would be short term. You want to just see a little bit of their experience if they're just starting out. But if if they're just in their first year, they'll they'll want to start probably around you know twenty to thirty an hour. Uh, obviously, very skilled U.S. engineers demand something quite a bit more uh, in the range of fifty to one hundred dollars an hour. So you gotta you gotta be careful about that. I wouldn't hire an uh, an expert in terms of freelancing and starting a software development business. I would not hire a very expensive talent when you can get just as much experience or much more experience for a lot less by just having a much bigger team with uh, remote workers. Now, with, with so much of the costs being payroll related, does that, does that mean the company was, was more or less profitable right away? And, and how does kind of those, those first few months of revenue compared to what revenue looks like today? I would say that uh, the, the profit margin 100% relies on you being disciplined, especially if it's based on a total project cost, you're charging certain amounts on certain intervals. So I would I would highly recommend for predictability, especially with how payroll being being so consistent and predictable, try to make your revenue predictable too and, and consistent. So we've transitioned away from doing uh, large quotes for you know, getting paid 50% up front, 50% at the end, and changing that to just flat monthly amounts. And then the length of the project, uh, or ideally, ideally more long term, but the length of the project would dictate what, what our what our expected revenue would be long term. So we can you could forecast your profits much better if you if you go that way versus trying to take a bunch of freelance projects and fit them into kind of a monthly forecast. That's very hard to do, especially if you're used to negotiating project costs in total, it, it's going to be hard to do that based on your needs. So I would say keep your expenses below your income. Start out by testing talent on you know paying them hourly for actual hours that they do before you take someone and give them a salary. But make sure that your, the, your total kind of recurring payroll costs are, are less than the, the income you take in. And the easiest way to do that is to have your revenue model be just a, on a monthly recurring or, or, or weekly recurring basis. On that, can you talk about how you have have set up that model in your own company and what your pricing structure looks like? With App to Exit, we have two services that we're offering, and basically, it's the core flagship one is App to Exit, which is and we're going to be pretty transparent on our website with this. It's seventy five hundred a month, and that's where we actually build a custom app for you, whether that's a web app or a mobile app. And the goal is to uh, drive towards a significant change in the way you do business, automating your company in a way that uh, allows the owner to exit or at least substantially reduce their time commitment or, or sell the company. And then less than that, if that's not if that's not in their in their budget or their their target, and they don't need that much work done necessarily, there are tons of mom and pops that 
their business isn't a serve isn't a, like a, an online service business. So their digital presence is secondary to their business. Uh, I would say if you just need a website change and you want a good partner that's going to manage your 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 you know your web profile and how your website is connected to a number of things, our other service is a, a web web to app, which is taking your website, delivering on the blind spots, doing you know going through your wish list and strategizing additional changes over time. And so that's just a on a month to month basis. We do twenty five hundred a month. So really, people are going to fall in those two categories. I need only a few things done, or I, and and once you get the ball rolling, then then their their brain starts tinkering through. Oh, I could. I could add this to my site. I could add that to my site. And uh, only if, you know, only if it reaches the stage where they want to go much faster and they want to do something much more groundbreaking, we'll switch them over to the higher level. And can you talk us through, through the steps of your, of your lead funnel? I mean, obviously you've attracted clients like IMAX and, and kind of like big revenue potential clients for you, as well as, as well as smaller mom and pop type small businesses. So how do you nurture and manage leads through your funnel? Now, I would say particularly for a software business and getting and getting started and the way we started, it's it's very often referrals. You're dealing with people that don't necessarily know how to solve their problem and don't necessarily want to spend a whole lot of money to solve it. Just ask. Ask your family and friends and go out on social media and go through your team members and 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 just see who, you know, who has who has a website and Reach out to them, ask if, if they want some work done on it. So that's that's really where we started is almost all referrals. And we've gradually built over the past few months a funnel that's working for us. We haven't done much with ads yet, but we, we're starting to. But essentially, it's uh, driving traffic to the site through ads or through social media posts. Make content on social media and, and, and produce it. What's great is... It's very easy to share the results of a software project or a web project on social media. The, 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 you don't have to you don't have to go pull out a camera. You can you can take a screenshot. It's very simple. So we've we've done a lot that way. Some of our best results have just been on posting on Facebook. Hey, these are the projects that we've done before. Tell you know, ask tell me if you're interested in anything like this, and then people just reply and say, I have an idea for something new, or I have a business and I really don't know what to do with. Or we had we had a developer work on it, and they did a terrible job, or now they're out of contact, and we need some help. So everybody's got this different story of of either being burned or not knowing what to do, and just the best strategy really is to just go out to your network or or to communities uh, of of business owners, like on, on different, uh, groups for you know, different software and just offer to help, just give people advice and offer to do things for free for them that don't take you much time, make videos showing, showing you're doing something useful for a business that they need, like building a funnel and then post that and say, Hey, what do you guys think? If you want me to help you with this, I can don't ask hard. Just, just say, this is what we do. Would anybody need any help? And people will generally answer. I think that's basically our strategy. So our organic strategy is making content, helping people out. That generates some really good connections. The other place I would go specifically is networking groups and and kind of entrepreneur communities. There are a lot of people in those groups pushing marketing and marketing help and consulting and things like that. But very few, relatively speaking, are doing uh, web development and, and especially like mobile app development. So those are big ponds uh, with some big fishes. And it's very easy to approach them once you get into that one-on-one environment. And obviously, one of the things that you all offer 
involves a you know systems that are scalable and able to be automated. Uh, so I'm curious what advice you have for small business owners in building out those systems and how do you follow it in your own business? The more the more nodes that you have, the more different tools that you're using to get the job done, that is compounding the chaos. An example that we that we worked with is a one client they had this software that we've been we've been maintaining and soon we're going to just redevelop the entire thing but their process in there has been to export a spreadsheet from one page in their in their admin system go take it to this other desktop system where uh, another piece of another column of data is added to the spreadsheet they export it again and send it to another team that other team adds another column they change some other numbers they export it and then they import it back into the original admin portal and that it was just a nightmare <laughs> to to hear about the fact that that there was all this runaround where this data was being manipulated over the course of two weeks when it really would have only taken two minutes if 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 the they just integrated those those features into the same system. So the more chaos that you have, it's it's costing you a lot, especially if you if you have CRMs that every member of your team is on and they cost you $50 per person. These things can get expensive too. So I would say if your technology, a good clue, a really fast clue is if your total technology costs are costing you more than like 5% or 10% of, of your total business budget, then you're probably doing something wrong. And uh, you need to simplify. And simplification, simplifying is definitely the first step to automating it because it's just if you've if you've looked at a tangled mess of of cables, like you know, it's a lot easier to sort out one cable than it is to sort out twenty that are all mixed together. So I would I would say just start with something simple. And if you need a, it, it's really helpful to get a, a second opinion on that. It doesn't have to be us, but somebody should take a look and say, hey, maybe it would be really nice if we could simplify in this way. You don't need to necessarily know how to do it, but you could take that plan to somebody that does have the skills to do that. So I would say first simplify. Next, get a you know get get some help. That's basically it because you also don't necessarily want to own that project if your goal is to relax. Know what you want to simplify, but but then let other people take you there. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show we call our Fan Blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. Those of you out there listening, you can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community, and you can submit questions to future podcast guests. Pace, we're going to try and get through about seven questions in about 90 seconds. Let's go for it. Here we go. Number one, Inna Vencivo is asking, where do you find your clients? Social media and ads. Next question here, what do you do with your profits? I reinvest my profits in building additional software as a service solutions and things that we can build long-term monthly recurring revenue. If you could change one thing about your business, what would it be? I would say my financial discipline, probably. I'd say financial discipline is probably the most important skill that any entrepreneur can have. Would you do business with yourself if you were a customer? I definitely would because I think people like me and appreciate my efficiency. How would you feel about working for someone who knows less than you? Ooh, uh, that's I, that's very hard. I, I hate doing that. I, I, I would say I would, my visceral reaction is I don't like doing that. Tell us uh, one secret of business which will make us a billionaire. Build an automated system, a completely automated system, something completely automated. You're going to turn your you're going to turn your hours of work into millions of hours of productivity. Last blitz question here. If you could sell your product or service to one celebrity, who would it be? Probably Mr. Beast. 
Love that. Love that. That's going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip. Check out all the great videos there of, of interviews with other entrepreneurs and small business owners and leave questions for future podcast guests. Pace, just a, just a few more questions from me. Um, I'm curious how big the team is at app to exit now and, and what tips you might have for finding and hiring the right people for the team. Yeah, it's uh, it's fluctuated off and on. Right now, we're at about five full-time people in the U.S., two or three additional part-time. And then I think right now, about six part or full-time contractors from Pakistan and the Philippines. We, we talked a little bit about advertising and promotion earlier in the, the episode here, but I'm curious about paid advertising. Um, what platforms or strategies have you, have you tried and what are, what are consistently giving you good returns on the investment? Yeah, it's something that we are fairly recent in doing. And so I would, I would say I, I, don't have, I don't have great answers in terms of consistent results. But from everything that we've, we've tested and learned, uh, you really want to pick the platform based on the audience. So if you're if you're trying to if it, if you're trying to work business to business with small businesses, LinkedIn is great. Instagram is great. We've had some good success on 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 Facebook, and and uh, we're looking at some really good numbers on um, on YouTube as well. YouTube is kind of like the catch all, awesome awesome place to go. Uh, they have a really good. They have really good ad policies in place where you don't you don't spend your ad budget until uh, people see like thirty seconds of your ad, which is which is really convenient. The one I'm curious about testing out is TikTok because it has grown so big so fast and engages the viewers very strongly. But I'm more interested in doing influencer marketing as opposed to direct just pay per click ads. That's an area we haven't we haven't done nearly enough to. But as, as far as the predictability and the simplicity, I would I would say every single one of them has their strengths. Those are the those are probably the top ones, though. Facebook, obviously, Google Search has has its has its merits too. If you're going direct to consumer with very specific needs, you can own keywords, and 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 that's the best solution there. If you're trying to find some very specific types of consumers based on a lot of helpful metadata, Facebook is the only place that will give you all of that information. So so yeah, it's really it's really different tools for different for different purposes. What does excellent customer service look like for a SaaS business? I would say it's funny. The first thing to come to my mind is anticipating customer needs, but real realistically, it's just listening. It's just listening to customers and listening very deeply, like thinking deeply about their problems and not trying to deliver to them a cookie cutter solution, but looking past, you know, the words they use to articulate the issues to the, you know, the emotions, the the feelings, the the pain, um, and the impact that their situation has, and the impact that, that that the solution would have. So, going for the highest return on investment solution that would solve their problem—that would be excellent customer service. You also run the uh, Tech Therapy podcast. Can you talk about how how the show got started and how it has helped you to to grow App to Exit? Yeah, I was really happy about using that brand name. I work with uh, my CMO, and he he's uh, my co-host on there, uh, BJ Hammaker, and has a long experience in in digital marketing and and, and advertising, and uh, is also very very into kind of mental health and solving the the emotional issues that that founders go through. And a business is very much 
the same problems you'll deal with in running a business are the same problems you'll deal with in managing your personal relationships, your family relationships and everything. It's the same. Very, very, very similar. And you should treat them similarly. You really should because you want to have a trusting relationship with the people that you're working with. So what we did at the Tech Therapy Podcast is talk with business owners about the impact that their technology is having on their business and or their lack thereof, what, they're, what they've been doing well, what's been working and what they want to do in the future. So it's, it's very similar to just an inventory session you might have with a, with a regular therapist. We're not therapists. We just love automation and efficiency and, 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 and seeing people benefit from you know, do, working wisely, essentially. What kind of metrics are important for a software development business to track and and what tools or strategies do you use to track those metrics? The top level financial stats are are things that you definitely need to to look at just like any business. So this is highly applicable. You you want to see what your what your total revenue is, uh, what what amount you're spending on, cost of goods sold, which is essentially subcontractors or 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 contractors the 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 variable costs that are tied to the the amount of work that you do and and then what your fixed costs are so those are the payroll for you know salaried employees that is, especially if you're paying them uh, you know over holidays and things uh, consistently uh, so knowing knowing and understanding those very well uh, and then one thing i mentioned before was just the total technology budget so understanding that the amount that you're paying for recurring costs for software services should not be too high probably keep that with within 5% of your total and then other things that you want to keep track of especially us as a as a as a software development uh, group there's there's a lot that we need to keep track of in project management so it, essentially how many of uh, for for each employee you know what's what's something that they got done today and uh, making sure that everybody has a backlog of work to do. So just tracking the amount, the number of tasks in somebody's backlog and tracking you know, the number of tasks that they're doing on a daily basis. Are there any current trends or shifts in B2B software that developers and business owners should be aware of? Yes, many. AI is a huge one. It hasn't impacted the actual development process as much as it will eventually. There are some things out there where robots are writing code. But I would say I would say the move towards no code and low code platforms where it's you can do a lot more in in software uh, things like like go high level and flow track and these kind of all in one solutions like Salesforce but there's so much less expensive. Those are a big change in the market. And in terms of AI copywriting, just being able to create so much original content and, and, and visual content with the new AI art and stuff is, is, is a big change. The AI voiceovers and things, all of those make it possible that if you put a system in place, you can produce a lot of content with, with very, very little effort. I would say the massive influx of additional software developers there are so many schools and hundreds of thousands of new developers that are that are getting trained all over the world. The cool thing about it is that there are never enough. There's always going to be more demand, I think, or at least for the for quite a while in the future, more demand for additional automations and services than than there will be people that can do them. So take advantage of the fact that you have lots of opportunities and options of people to choose. And uh, just be judicious with uh, with your budget and, and test people out, test, test their skills on, on things, specific things that you need done to see. And, and, and I think a good part of it, too, is, is are you are you compatible, like, you know, personality wise? Are you having a good relationship with them? 
What's your uh, biggest headache as a business owner today? And how are you dealing with those headaches? Still, still probably the biggest headache is, is just consistency in, in lead flow and, 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 you know, inbound funnel. One I, thing I would like to do more of than anything else is, is work with partners and, and be a fixture in uh, someone else's network and community where if, if they have our, they're, they're already providing some very useful services to businesses, then we, we can just tag along on that and, and, and add value by, by working with them to kind of automate our, our lead funnel to eliminate that part of the business that I'm less skilled at than the actual automation part. You've mentioned financial discipline in a couple of different spots as as being an important skill for a business owner to have. Would you call that the most important skill for a business owner, or what might you say is the most important skill? I would say, for I would one say to by have? miles, by by fathoms, financial discipline is the most important. The nature of the market is such that with the automations that are in place and that it, that have become regular for every business, like merely just the existence of having a website, having a Google platform and things or, or a, a profile. If you are profitable from early on and you can stay profitable, then that will prevent you from making decisions that are that are foolhardy, that are, that are, that are too financially risky. And, uh, and I would say in any case where you, you feel like you do need to make an investment that's going to take you into debt, I would definitely work with expert, you know, advice to to see if there are alternatives to that. There there are certainly ways now where you don't need to get into debt. You don't need to spend a ton all at once to build something amazing. There's almost always a way to build a very low cost solution that will take you will will make a significant difference in your business. So I would I would say that it's still the number one skill that any business owner can have is is just staying profitable. What's your next big goal for app to exit and and how do you go about setting effective business goals? The next big goal for app to exit, we're launching a new website and then one thing we're doing also is I'm resurrecting the brand that died in 2019. I'm relaunching it very shortly and pivoting it away from automated trading to just exit plans. And 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 what it is is going to be a, consu- a consumer service for just early retirement planning and building, you know, encouraging people and encouraging businesses. This is how we're tying it into App2Exit, offering a service in App2Exit to accelerate the exit strategy by putting in place a company match. So having the company pay into a, a you know, a, a more advantaged, a better long-term retirement plan in addition to the software automation. That's how we actually hope to get a lot of employees involved in that, that consumer app. And the goal is to help a million people set up early retirement plans in the next 10 years. If you could pick uh, the one thing that someone takes away from our conversation today, what would it be? I would say the one thing to take away from this conversation is that if you don't know how to do something, someone else does. And you should talk about it. You should talk about what you need done openly with people and get their advice. Don't keep all of your issues and worries and concerns locked up in your head. They're stressing you out and it's stressing other people out that you're stressed out, you're going to get a lot of growth out of just going somewhere where you feel comfortable talking about it. I don't know if that's with a therapist or with your or with your spouse or partner or brothers or sisters or friends, or if you should join a networking community, but you should just talk about what issues you have. Other people want to help you. That's how everything has gotten built that humanity has ever done. Um, so just talk about talk about what's what's stressing you out and uh, other people are going to volunteer to help you. 
What's your favorite business book and why? That's a good question. I would say my favorite business book is probably still E-Myth Revisited, just because I remember it so well. It, it articulates just the way to kind of identify your target customer and, and the way to build your business in a very, very simple format. I've read more recent business organizational structural things have been very good, but that one's good. If there's an honorable mention or, a, or my second place, it would be how to win friends and influence people because it's it, it very much gets to the, the core of of a perennial message, which is just give, give to get, just, just put, just give people a lot of value. And, and that's the way, that's the way you're going to get uh, their trust and, and their business. Pace, where can people learn more about you and the work that you're doing at app to exit? Uh, you can just go to app to exit.com. I'm hoping we have a lot of uh, social handles at app to exit. That's my next step. And then, um, and then the consumer business would be at uh, helium with an E H E L E U M. And so that's the best place to find me. You can find me. I'm the only Pace Ellsworth on LinkedIn. And uh, all my personal handles are at PaceMe, P-A-C-E-M-E, just about everywhere. That is going to do it for this episode of the UpFlip podcast. Listeners, if you're interested in learning more about starting a software business, you can also check out episode 27 of the podcast, which featured Ed Warren, the founder of Zippity, where you can check out our YouTube channel for more interviews with business founders and owners. Pace Ellsworth of app to exit Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. 